Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the bigger picture. And we are zooming in on China. Lots to talk about, including how the picture is emerging that perhaps the slump in the real estate sector may be worse than what official data is showing. For example, government figures are showing that new home prices have slipped just 2.4% from a high in August 2021, while existing home prices have dropped 6%. But talking to property agents and private data providers, uh, existing home prices have fallen at least 15% in prime neighbourhoods. And this is in the major areas like Shanghai and Shenzhen. And if you look at Hangzhou, near where Alibaba is headquartered, prices have dropped about 25%. So a lot of um, concern around the data that investors have and there is a lot of noise and also some uh, implications for investors with all the troubles in the property sector. So let's unpack it with Alicia Garcia Herrero. She is the Chief Economist for Asia-Pacific at Netesis Corporate and Investment Banking. Good morning, Alicia. Thanks for joining us on the show. Good morning. Great to have you on. So let's get started with your view of the macroeconomic outlook for China. We've been hearing a lot of people have been cutting back on their growth forecasts this year. What have you been doing on the front? Have you been also been more conservative when it comes to China's outlook? I guess we were conservative from the beginning because our growth rate at the time when forecast at the time China decided to open up or rumors were already there in November was already already five and a half only. So this was before the government announced the underwhelming five percent growth, which is probably as much as China can get this year. And uh, we were already quite cautious because we were seeing that the structural forces behind deceleration in in China, economic deceleration, were actually strengthening. And this was already the case since the trade war. So basically, I, I actually think it was easy to see that having a very growth, a high growth rate this year would have been very difficult for China. So not a surprise in my view. What might be a surprise, though, is that they, they're barely making it to the target. So basically that even 5.5% I was too optimistic. That's a surprise for us. Okay, so we've got a lot of troubles that have been outlined around the Chinese economy. What really is at the top of your list right now? We've got the property sector. You've got right now investors being spooked by Country Garden. And then you've got the shadow bank, Zhongzhi. What is um, at the top of your worry list? There are real factors uh, and financial factors. So the first ones uh, do relate to the real estate sector because even if the whole uh, breakdown of the system ever grounded started with regulatory pressure, the three red lines, the reality is that we all knew that bubble was unsustainable because Chinese population was falling. We actually had a, an increasingly small size of the household, uh, which is very important for housing because it means, you know, you cannot, you cannot squeeze less and less people in, in one unit because they are already so few, yeah? And, and therefore, there's no demand for housing. There's no immigration in China. I mean, all of these factors are structural. And most importantly, disposable income in China before COVID was already decelerating very rapidly. So no matter what we think about excess savings, yes, yes, of course. But people look at their disposable income and they know it's shrinking. So the affordability of housing in China had worsened dramatically. Thus, in a way, we were doomed to see slower demand beyond the regulation. So that's real. That's, that's not financial. And that cannot be changed. 
for the foreseeable future. So we know there will be less demand for housing in China for years to come. On the financial side, and this is, of course, uh, LGFBs, uh, local government financial vehicles, uh, wealth management products, you know, the second arm of problems at the, at the current juncture. That is because China basically has gone through enormous leverage. So uh, public debt, only public debt is 100% of GDP already. When you include the off-balance sheet debt, meaning local government financial vehicles, which are indeed local government owned. And then you have corporate debt about 150. So, you know, when you add all of that, plus household debt, it's about 300% of GDP. So so that's the financial part. With such high debt, it's very hard not to feel the burden on growth. And that's where we are. Yeah, it does look like there's quite a bit weighing on sentiment. So how is this affecting the spending sentiment? Because I hear that consumers are in savings mode these days. How much is that going to affect the economy? Yes, actually, excess savings, we, if you recall at the beginning of the year, and this is partially why the market was booming, uh, we were all talking about splashing money, China splashing money in China and overseas. What we saw is actually an increase above what was already a record uh, number of excess savings, precautionary savings, mm. in 2023. So, so this is the, the surprise that notwithstanding the reopening, Chinese consumers still prefer to save. I think the reason is they see the future. They know China will grow less and less. They know their disposable income uh, less and less or grow at least less and less. They also know that, you know, they may not have a pension, they may not have, I mean, they, they know that there may be a lot of expenses, expenses they need to cover with those savings, that they're not consuming today. Mm. How I about the factor uh, when it comes to deflation, where you've got falling prices, yes. does that <laughs> encourage them to yes. delay their purchases as well? I understand, and this question, I always get this question that when we learn about deflation, this is the first thing you learn. Consumers will wait and because prices may fall to you know, for the next month or the next year. Well, I, my argument, I mean, my, my impression is not yet in China. What I mentioned about delaying consumption is more about uncertainty about their income and their new expenses or the, you know, additional expenses that they may not, that the government may not be able to cover or et cetera. Yeah. And maybe even, frankly speaking, the risk of war. I mean, like, they, they read all these very, very negative views about the world. So, you know, they, they say, I do not think, though, that deflation is yet in their mindset because China has been going through wholesale or producer price inflation, but consumers don't see that. That, that was last month, minus 5.5%, very big. Mm-hmm. There I can sense. If you are buying iron ore, you wait because that's a big number. But for consumers, 0.4 negative for the first time, that's not yet in the picture. However, we need to be careful that it doesn't become an additional issue not to consume, i.e. that consumer inflation in China does go back to positive or at least zero. Otherwise, you know, this would create a vicious circle. All right, we've got a lot to watch out for when it comes to China in the coming months. So we'll be watching this space very closely. We've been chatting with Alicia Garcia-Herrero. She is the Chief Economist for Asia-Pacific for Netasys Corporate and Investment Banking. Alicia, thanks for your time and have a great weekend in advance. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you, Alicia. Well, stay with Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. 
To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.